slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hi, I'm Marissa and you're listening to the Doin' Time Show. On Wednesday the 29th of March, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service held a webinar on prison healthcare to discuss the need for an overhauled prison healthcare system in Victoria. Today, we're pleased to bring you the audio from the webinar. Thanks for tuning in. I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people's traditional custodians of land that I'm on today, and I pay my respects to the elders past and present. I also acknowledge that we are all on Aboriginal land across Australia. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Narita Waite, a proud Yorta Yorta and Wurundjeri woman and CEO of VOWS. Working for VALS has allowed me to experience the many sides of the criminal legal system where sadly the impacts of invasion and colonialist ideologies still pervade daily, weekly, yearly. In 1991, the Royal Commission on Advertising Custody recommended that prison healthcare be of an equivalent standard to that available to the general public and should be accessible and appropriate to Aboriginal prisoners. But since then, we've seen over 520 Aboriginal deaths in custody. This can only mean a complete lack of action implementing those recommendations and an ignorance of health and well-being of our people. Before I go any further, I'd like to acknowledge Veronica Marie Nelson, a strong Gudijumara and Yodiyora Wiradjuri and Dajudajurong woman, whose story be the focus of a lot of our discussion today. We pay our deepest respect to Veronica's family, in particular Anidona Nelson and, of course, Uncle Percy Lovett, whose relentless advocacy during the Coral Inquest into Veronica's passing has led to statewide awareness of the inhumane treatment Veronica received and sparked discussion within Parliament about important legislative changes. In January 2020, Veronica Nelson passed away in her cell at the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre Prison, Veronica's Victoria's main women's prison, after days and days of crying out for help. During the 36 hours she spent at DPSC, she pressed into her buzzer in her cell at least 49 times to ask for help and tell staff about her symptoms. Sadly, she passed away alone in her prison cell. Earlier this year, the coroner was incredibly critical of the standard of prison health care and found that poor quality of health care contributed to Veronica's passing. The coroner also criticised lack of culturally safe or appropriate care in prison. This led to the Victorian government announcing that health care in Jane Phillips Frost Centre will soon be delivered by public health care providers. This is excellent news. But we also need public health care in all of Victoria's prisons. This shouldn't just be limited to Dave Phillips Frost. And we need Aboriginal organisations delivering care for Aboriginal people in prison if we are to stem the cycle of Aboriginal death in custody. 
Today, we're incredibly lucky to be joined by an amazing panel of Aboriginal women, experts in the area of Aboriginal health and prison and police accountability, to talk more about these issues and how we can implement them. Now, first, we just need to get some boring housekeeping. So, the webinar's going to run for an hour, and we'll try to do that as closely as possible. We'll kick off a pre-recorded discussion between Sarah Swartz and Megan Williams about specific issues that came out of Rank Nelson Inquest, then we get to move to our amazing panel discussion with Annie Jill Gallagher, Julie Tongs, and Amanda Porter, who I'll introduce properly, properly later. The chat function is open. Please make use of it. Feel free to comment on who your mob are and what land you're tuning in from. The question and answer function is open, and we'll have about 10 minutes at the end to respond to some of your questions. We encourage people to ask difficult questions and share your thoughts. But we will moderate anything that is racist or abusive, so be please con be considered in what you write. We're also live tweeting this webinar, so check out at the Vows Mob and tag us in your own tweets about the webinar. We'll also be using the hashtag Unlocking Victorian Justice, so keep an eye out for that if you're on Twitter. We're also on other channels like Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn if you want to tag us on those platforms. We'll share a link to the recording of this webinar in the coming days. So keep an eye out on our social media for that and share it with people who you think might be interested. You can add questions to the Q&A chat and panellists will answer the questions in the chat or at the webinar if time allows. Now quickly, just a content warning. We'll be discussing issues that will potentially include references to Aboriginal Strait Islander people deceased, self-harm, trauma, violence, abuse and racism. If any part of our discussion raises issues or concerns for you, please call Yarning Safe and Strong if you're Aboriginal Strait Islander, um, as that's a service run by the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, and you can call them on 1800 959 563. And anyone else, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14, um, and those contact details will be shared in the chat, the chat section. Now, I'd like to welcome Sarah Swartz and Megan Williams virtually. Uh, this is a pre-recorded discussion between these two incredible women whose expertise played a vital role in the fight for justice during the criminal inquest into Veronica Passing and um, Sarah Swartz's continued work in our coronial practice. We'll now play their 10-minute discussion that has been edited to fit our time frame today, but we'll make the full conversation, which goes for about an hour, available. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Sarah Schwartz. I'm a principal lawyer of the Wiraway practice at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. I want to start by acknowledging country. I'm zooming in from the lands of the Wurundjeri people where I live and work. I want to pay respect to the Aboriginal elders of the land on which I'm zooming in from, um, to all Aboriginal people on the call, um, and just pay respect to all the Aboriginal people that I work with um, and in particular, the families of Aboriginal people who've passed away in custody, who've really been leading the fight to end deaths in custody. Yuridumurung, g'day everyone. I'm Megan Williams. I'm Wiradjuri through my dad's family and that Williams um, surname from northeast Wiradjuri country. And I acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Darug people and I pay my respects to their elders of the past and elders of the present and all you mob out listening and to Val's as well and I'm uh, from UTS in the Faculty of Health there and also from Yulang, my own uh, evaluation company and have had a long history of working on issues about health service access uh, among Aboriginal people in prison and also deaths in custody issues and like to 
take this opportunity to remember Veronica Nelson, is someone who worked on the uh, coronial inquest into her death in Dame Phyllis Frost Centre and bring her into our minds and hearts as a Gunditjmara Jaja Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta woman, um, beautiful woman. And think of you, Ani Donna Nelson, and and do this work for you and bring to mind Uncle Percy and his um, presence and advocacy as well. Thanks, Megan. Um, yeah, as Megan said, we were both privileged to work um, in different capacities. Um, in the coronial inquest into Veronica's passing, I've been really privileged to work with Uncle Percy Lovett, um, Veronica's partner, um, and Megan Williams provided uh, expert evidence in the inquest um, in relation to prison healthcare, culturally appropriate healthcare. Megan, what um, does cultural safety mean in the context of prison healthcare? Cultural safety cannot occur without clinical safety and clinical safety cannot occur without cultural safety. And my colleagues and I tend to follow the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency's cultural safety definition and they say that culturally safe practice is the ongoing critical reflection of health practitioner knowledge, skills, attitudes, their behaviour and their understanding of power differentials. We didn't see any of those elements in that so-called care for Veronica. That word cultural confuses a lot of people and they think that they have to provide Aboriginal culture so that Aboriginal people are safe. You know, in the inquest, the coroner made several findings that the care wasn't equivalent to community health care um, and that that was causally related to Veronica's passing. I'd love to get your views on the importance of breaking down prison walls, what what it means for people in prison um, as to be part of the general community and having that access to the same community health care providers that exist in the broader community because currently I think we see in all states and territories, um, you know, healthcare often being run by the Department of Justice, often being run by the corrections body that is responsible for punishment. Yeah, that notion of equivalence of care is really clearly stated in the UN Nelson Mandela rules that prisoners, which we don't use that statement anyway, prisoners should enjoy the same standards of healthcare available in the community and have access to the necessary healthcare services free of charge without discrimination. It's so important, something that Veronica's family pushed for in the inquest for the importance of Aboriginal um, community controlled health organisations to be providing health services in prison. I know that Megan, you spoke um, in the inquest really beautifully about um, the cultural isolation for Aboriginal people in prison and how that relates to healthcare. Um, I wonder if you'd speak a bit about that. We've got good evidence from around Australia that Aboriginal health workers, Aboriginal health practitioners are able to create those conditions for cultural safety and bring an enormous amount to their roles um, with expertise for caring for Aboriginal people and models of care. But we don't see um, sort of nationally or any state-based strategies that, uh, like the UN says, respect um, that experience of Indigenous peoples. Prisons should already be seen as part of the community. They are part of the community. We've got to really watch our language around going into prison or behind the prison walls or uh, behind bars. You know, we've got to 
really take ownership that we as taxpayers consciously fund these these places of punitivity with great risk for death. When we think about who's got a, a sort of successful, robust Aboriginal workforce with great leadership and influence and in health, that's Aboriginal community-controlled health organisations. Why we do not want them to be delivering the care, it's beyond me. The Royal Commission recommendations clearly stated where Aboriginal people are overrepresented in a prison, if there's a local uh, Aboriginal health service or Aboriginal medical services, they were then called, they should be providing the care. We, we are in a, a worsening state, and that's partly why the, the coroner's you know, report is so important and you know, why keeping Veronica in mind is so important. And, you know, Sarah, you, you said, you know, her, her experience was not, um, you know, an exemplar or a special thing that occurred that actually could have been anybody. What we saw in, in all those reports that I kind of forensically went through, went through all the government policies, all the organisational policies to see what's in here that could provide safety for an Aboriginal person who's well or unwell, and there's not even enough on paper, let alone in practice uh, as well. So, again, we've got to look to where the successes are, which is in the community, with outstanding leadership for this country coming from our controlled health organisations and legal services as well. You know, there's a great phrase that data encodes racism, and even our Australian Institute of Health and Welfare's data collection on the health and well-being of people in prison. You know, there's no questions in that from an Aboriginal perspective about health and holistic health too. So, you know, just a simple thing to be critiquing all the time, um, the narrative and the discourse as well, because like you're saying, those reports said that all of that, all that was supposed to happen, happened, but there's nothing about quality in there either. So, you know, get, let's get busy with some mechanisms to understand quality of care um, as well. Well, thanks to you all for listening. Megan Williams uh, from UTS and Yulang uh, Wiradjuri. And thanks to Sarah and to all at VALS and all the support that I've had through being involved in the inquest um, for Veronica providing report and um, the enormous amount of work that many other people did and the deepest respect to um, the memory of Veronica and her spirit lives on and to, to the family. For all those listening, just keep engaged with this issue. I hate having to use the words prison health together because it's prison unhealth, prison risk for health, um, and justice health doesn't cut it because people think that that's getting equity in health outcomes, but we're talking about the, the health and safety of people in um, in prisons in Australia. So yeah, keep your, your real scrutiny radar going, um, especially through listening to Aboriginal people's leadership on this topic. So, yeah, thank you, Sarah. No, thank you so much, Megan. Um, Thank you so much for speaking with us and for all of your amazing work um, to support Veronica's family in the inquest and 
um, your expert evidence, um, which the coroner referenced in the inquest, and um, which I think will hopefully lead to some significant changes. Um, yeah, as Megan said, prisons are unsafe places, they're unhealthy places, um, and uh, I think it's really important to get behind all the work that people like Megan are doing, um, and Arnie Jill, um, and Vacho, who um, are crying out to be providing in-reach services into prisons in Victoria, um, and uh, for all the people like um, Arnie Julie Tongs, who are doing incredible work um, as well. It's just so important for us to get behind um, Aboriginal community controlled health organisations and to be yeah, really breaking down those barriers between um, people in prison um, and people outside of prison um, and providing a standard of healthcare that um, that uh, stops death in custody and, and um, you know stops stops custody altogether. So yeah, thanks so much, Megan. Thanks everyone. So as we stated earlier, um, we'll make the full video available um, for everyone um, through our um, socials um, as well as um, the link that you use to register. Um, so now we're going to move to our panel. Um, unfortunately, um, Amanda Porter um, will not be joining us um, due to illness, but we still have um, two amazing um, people, which is, um, of course, um, Julie Tongs um, and um, Annie Jill Gallagher, who I both believe share an OAM. Um, so <laughs> that's a beautiful little coincidence. Um, so Annie Jill, Megan Williams spoke about cultural safety and cultural competency in prison healthcare. What role um, can ATROs play in providing culturally safe healthcare in Victoria's prisons? Thanks, Narita. Um, and um, before I begin, I would also like to acknowledge that I am on Aboriginal land. And I'd also like to thank VALS uh, for putting this uh, webinar on. It's amazing. So, well, what role? Well, I believe, and Vacho's been saying this for tw uh, 20 years, Narita. I mean, here in Victoria, it's now a new company that has got the government contract to deliver healthcare to all prisons and all prisoners in Victoria. Um, and it's, I think it's GEO. Many years ago, it used to be Pacific Shore Health. Uh, and I think they're all American based companies and they're private providers. So, you know, I mean, you know, often wonder about what drives a private provider. Uh, whether it is care or whether it is the um, um, the dollar sign, um, so that's an issue. But um, here in Victoria, a lot of our ACOs are more than well placed to provide those services to Aboriginal people in prisons um, um, for a number of reasons. We don't have to do a um, a research project to find out. Who needs our services? Um, we know that who are the vulnerable families in our communities, and we know when when our when our people are in prison, uh, and we know the families suffer also. So the Aboriginal organisations in Victoria, they're not just health services, Narita, as you would know. Um, they provide yes a clinic. And a health, an Aboriginal health service, but they also provide mental health. They also provide drug and alcohol counselling. A lot of them have housing in their remits. A lot of them have aged care and uh, in the home and aged care residential, and the list goes on. So 
because we have that model of care and we know our community, we are best placed to be able to provide those services in prison and also planning for their release. That is vital because then the services that they receive whilst incarcerated will continue once they're um, uh, exited the prison. Um, so I think, you know, the Aboriginal community controlled health, sec- health sector is is better placed. But can I say, there is, there is a risk here, Narita, that we need to be mindful of. Back when Pacific Shore Health had the private gig here in Victoria all those years ago, um, they contacted Vacho and they asked Vacho whether our services would would provide these services alongside their service model or integrated into their service model. Uh, and I said, of course our services would be happy to explore what that would look like and what that would cost. But then the Pacific Shore Health said, oh, no, we've got no money. We've got no funding for this. Oh. And I said, well, how do you expect an already stretched Aboriginal community controlled health organisation to be able to deliver those services on top of without any additional resources. Um, and it's always been well known we are best placed to do that. So, and that not only because we know our community and we know uh, the people that are actually in prison, we know their families, um, but it's because our services. Um, You've got culture embedded throughout. So culture, um, when, when, and Julie's nodding and Julie would support this, culture is a very important protective factor in delivering health services. No private provider can do that or even understand that. Um, um, so... You know, I'm just hoping the recent review here in Victoria that was released by the government, I'm just hoping, Narita, that um, the government will take it serious and start to look at developing an implementation plan for all the recommendations. So thank you. And Angel, since you mentioned the review, um, and I know it's a little bit cheeky, but um, I just wondered if you could talk about the review because um, I know it's 888 pages, so not a lot of people would have had the chance to read it all yet. Um, but maybe you could just give us a summary version of, you know, what were the main themes that really came out of um, that review process and what are the recommendations that you feel um, are an urgent priority and what ones actually will take more time? Yeah. Um, um, I wish I could remember all that, but... Um, but but basically, to just for those people who don't know, but I, I personally have been involved in the past, I don't know, 18 months has it been, 18 months, two years, in um, the state government commissioned a review into the cor- culture of adult correctional services. So we just need to put that. Um, so for the past 18 months, we've been going into prisons, talking to Aboriginal prisoners, talking to all prisoners, talking to staff and a whole raft of things. So, but I won't go too much about the history there. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the things we heard and a lot of the things that we, um, 
were exposed to um, uh, is highlighted in the report. So some of the recommendations, uh, and some of them, are, uh, as you said, Narita, are, are very uh, easy to implement. And I've just just had the time just today to skim over the government response to the report, uh, and they've said they've started a lot already. For example, um, um, one of our recommendations in the report that in Victoria there should be a public health model, a public health model delivered to um, being implemented in all prisons in Victoria. Um, that was a very high recommendation, and it could be so simple to uh, implement. Uh, we already have public health systems here in Victoria, right across the continent we have. Um, so, But the government have decided to implement it into two prisons currently, um, two women's prisons, um, and that's Dame Phyllis and Tarangawa, which is a low security prison uh, rural Victoria. Um, so... So a public health model. What I don't know, Narita, is how are they going to engage the relevant Aboriginal community controlled health organisations to also be in there at the same time? That's what I don't know. Uh, and that's what I'm currently trying to find out. So that's one of the recommendations. The other recommendation is, um, and it's not just focusing on health, um, so a public health model for primary health care, mental health and drug and alcohol. That was the uh, recommendation. The other one is that um, the legislation uh, needs to be changed to have a more of a rehabilitation focus. Um, um, so that sets the scene as to how prisons operate. At the moment, it's all law and order and, you know, keep the community safe type of focus, uh, and that probably stems back from early colonisation, you know, the early um, days um, when we were penal colonies. Um, yeah, one of the other recommendations is training for all correctional staff should not just be eight weeks and should not just have a focus on law and order. Um, it should also have a focus on rehabilitation um, and also um, case management. Um, so some of the issues in prisons uh, here in Victoria are, you know, the correctional staff really don't talk much or vice versa to the health staff. Um, so that integration needs to happen. So all everyone's on the same page. Um, and, and so eight weeks of training is what correctional staff are offered here in Victoria. Uh, that's not good enough. So um, we think that's important. Also, from an Aboriginal perspective, we wanted to see an Aboriginal uh, inspectorate, so an independent um, Aboriginal inspectorate of some sort that sits within um, um, the current, um, what do you call it, the current inspectors' roles, inspectorates, yeah, yeah. Um, because as we all know, when when the tragic death of Veronica happened, um, the current organisation, I think it's called JARO, went in and basically went in to do and find out well, what happened. 
um, like they do with any death. Um, and it basically said, and I'm not, not quoting exactly, but it's basically said, look, not a lot to see here. Um, and so that, that's a bit disappointing when we now know there was a lot to see. Um, so that Aboriginal inspectorate is going to be independent of government. It has to be. Uh, that's really important. Uh, and there was a few more, like, for example, Narita, when you look at the Aboriginal staff that are employed within corrections, they're all very junior positions. So there's no one there that has a lot of influence um, at a higher level within correctional, uh, correctional services or individual prisons. So one of our recommendations was trying to address that. There needs to be more senior Aboriginal people employed. And, of course, really good cultural safety training mandated in all prisons. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm still working my way through the report, Annie I hope to finish it over the weekend. Um, but it has been great to see some of the things that um, we as an organisation have been pushing for quite some time, like independent investigation into Aboriginal deaths in custody, um, and particularly around cultural change, which we know is a problem. And, I mean, certainly... Um, from my reading so far, the report doesn't go this far, but the privatisation of prisons is a real problem, um, not just in this state. We see it um, nationally. We see it internationally. Um, they are driven by profits, not by outcomes, um, and you see that in the way they shirk um, their responsibility for the care and control of people that um, they have absolute control over. There is no way that you can leave that joint um, unless you're paroled. Um, it's exactly right, you know, and when you look at what happened to Veronica, Narita, you know, I mean, I heard uh, Megan uh, and that talk earlier, uh, and Megan talking about, you know, there was not even clinical care there, there was no clinical standards met there. Um, there's really been no ramifications, really, that I am aware of, um, because that, you know, maybe part of the recommendation should also be to include humanity as a course, um, because she was denied her humanity. Yes, um, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And we know that um, in the past we've seen um, where certainly matters have been referred to the OPP, um, no charges resulting, the most um, recent being Tanya Day. Um, we know certainly um, now we're waiting for a decision on Veronica Nelson. Um, and as we speak, um, you know, the in question of the death of Michael Suckling is going on, and that also concerns um, prison health um, as well as other elements of prison operations. And we've got many more to come this year, and that's a sad fact. Um, and uh, a lot of the time, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, culturally safe healthcare provision. Um, and from a service perspective, um, Julie, I'm wondering if you can expand on what, what that actually is. What is um, culturally safe healthcare? How do you deliver it? Um, and what are some of the outcomes that you see? Well, um, thank you. I'd also like to acknowledge that I'm on actual land. Thanks, um, Val, for giving me the opportunity to speak today and also acknowledge Jill Gallagher, a friend of mine. So can I just say it's, cha it's a challenging environment and uh, it is about holistic comprehensive primary health care and continuity of care. 
we had very good um, uh, systems in place here at Wananga. And so we used a system called Communicare. So regardless of whether the doctor or the nurses are in the prison or not, if they're an existing client of Wananga, they can look on the system and see, you know, what health issues, um, whether they've got any allergies and, you know, so we don't have to go over old ground all the time. But it also, you know, we have um, four nurses, we work, we work in the prison seven days a week, 365 days a year. And uh, my nurses start at 6.30 in the morning and they finish at 8.30 at night. So, but that in itself is challenging because as soon as the prison goes into lockdown, then you can't access any of the, the men or the women. And if there's an emergency overnight, then the officer will call the doctor on call. So the prisoner doesn't actually get to speak to the doctor. So the message is realised by an officer, which to me is really risky. But we also have um, doctors that go out three afternoons a week, as well as a nurse practitioner one afternoon a week. We have an Aboriginal support, um, cultural support worker based in the prison with the nurses to provide, because the majority of our clinical staff or all of our clinical staff aren't Aboriginal. So they need support as well. So we have um, uh, an Aboriginal uh, cultural support worker based in the um, prison with um, the nurses, but also to provide uh, support to the, the Aboriginal men and women who are in prison, and they can start their case management plan, and then they can refer it back into Wananga to the social health team. And if there's any follow-up work on the outside, then the one under social team can follow up. We also have a forensic psychologist that runs um, programs in the prison. So DBT and, and RUSH program and, you know, um, uh, getting the, uh, preparing men and women for the exit out of the prison back into the community. Um, we have uh, justice reinvestment workers that go in because some of the men that are about to be released, are, um, we um, actually uh, then support them through the justice reinvestment program here at Wananga. So we also have access to, you know, audiology, uh, uh, psychology, uh, a psychiatrist, but it's a challenging environment and we can't afford to have doctors there every day because the prison goes into lockdown. When the prison goes into lockdown, we're lucky if the nurses can do their, their rounds to actually provide the medication. It's a very punitive environment and it is about power and control. And our intention when we went into AMC was not to be divisive, but to be able to provide the care that we provide on the outside to the men and women on the inside. 
but it has become divisive. And the fact that Wananga stands alone in there like we are all autonomous because we had a death in custody and after that, and it was a young Aboriginal man, after that colonial inquest, I said under no way are we going to be integrated, we're going to stand alone, we want to be autonomous because I'm not prepared to share their risk. So we have justice health services and that's challenging in itself because I feel like they think it's competition. But it's not a competition. It's about us providing the the right health care at the right time to our men and women who are incarcerated. And, you know, it's difficult. We could do a lot more. We could do a lot more. And, but we get a lot of pushback. So we've been in there now since 2018. We had, like, you know, with COVID. So everybody, their men and women become very isolated. There was a lot of lockdown, you know, and it was very, very challenging. And, you know, we're not just working with, um, you know, their, their, um, health and wellbeing. But also there's other factors like child protection, um, probation and parole, you know, um, police brutality and all of those things. And, you know, it's a challenging environment. And I think that, you know, um, Bacho and the Victoria National Community Control Health Services have an opportunity if they can negotiate with the government and that there are some clear KPIs or or, or targets or whatever around what they're going to deliver and the capacity to be able to, or the capability to be able to deliver it without any hindrance. So, yeah, it's a challenging environment, but we love doing it. I've got nurses. We're able to retain staff. One of the biggest issues is racism, you know, not just from the um, officers, but also from other detainees. Um, it's not a healthy environment, and we talk about healthy prison reports, well, it's definitely not a healthy prison. They're bored, there's no industry, they've got nothing to do, they're locked down 18 hours a day, and... Uh, you know, it's creating more violence. Mm. And so continually. I mean, and it, it makes you wonder, though, Julie, why um, when there are, you know, other models developed that don't look at incarceration as a solution um, but rather look at healing and um, development as the way forward. I mean, in WA at the moment, um, FISH are developing this site um, as an alternative prison where, um, the buildings are, you know, ensconded in Mother Earth, um, but the priority is healing. So it's all about specialised services that ATROs deliver best, um, but also providing um, pathways to employment and training. So um, it's basically a social enterprise too. So I have a tourism aspect, um, you know, showcasing culture and land management, um, but they'll also have things such as um, growing their own food and horticulture. And it, it's a 
really beneficial program that in the end starts paying for itself. I mean, government makes initial investment, then it's like, see you later. Um, it seems to me that um, a lot of the services that you're trying to, like you're putting into prisons are, are ways to try and provide that wraparound support, but in a really constrained environment that doesn't benefit um, and showcase your services to the best extent. And you mentioned um, sort of the complexity of um, health um, problems that often your clients are suffering. And I wondered if you could both talk about why continued care is important, because certainly from my perspective, um, we see healthcare as an underlying cause of offending behaviour. Um, and we note that when our clients transition out of prison, um, often their poor health can actually lead to that offending pathway, um, but create further difficulties. So what is continuative care? How do you ensure it? Um, and how do you do it better? Did you want to go first, Jill, or me? Um, sorry. Uh, continuity of care is that journey from the outside to the inside and back to the outside. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, Julie, we can still hear you. All right, okay. And so it's that that journey from the outside to the inside and back out. Because we do drug and alcohol, we do um we are uh, uh do Buvidol. So uh we do the Buvidol injections in the prison as well. So when uh the men and women are released they can still come here to Wananga. They have their Buvidol injections and all of their follow up care. I mean, what we're doing, our clients in the prison love us. And, you know, um, our prison population at the moment is 31% Aboriginal, which is really disturbing when we make up less than 2% of the ACT population. But also, um, our clients love it. But it's just, the, it's the challenges that we have in the environment, that's the problem. Not lots of our clients want to transfer to Wananga, but we have to have the resources to be able to to yeah. transfer more over, and we've got 40 at the moment. So. Yeah. And I think, Julie, everything that you've just said, I agree with about that uh, uh, um, continuity of care. But uh, also here in Victoria, a lot of our members, they also have, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems when our people exit prison is there's not a great deal of planning or, or referral pathways to services outside, unless you're in there yourself like you are with Winunga. But, you know, um, of course that re-offending is going to happen if they can't get a job. Of course, that reoffending is going to happen if uh, they can't get anywhere to live. Um, you know, so they need to be tapped into these services that can assist them with that. Um, I remember when I was the treaty commissioner, I also went into every prison in Victoria as the treaty commissioner. Um, and there was one Aboriginal man um, down in Gippsland, Gippsland Prison, Gunai Kurnai country. And he was probably about my age and he, he said to me, he said, Jill, I keep coming back to prison 
because I've got nowhere else to go. Uh, no one's going to give me a job because I've got a record. Um, and so as soon as they exit me, I do another minor crime, petty theft, and I come back into prison because uh, I have a bed and I have a feed. Now, they're two fundamental things in life that people, people need to have access to if they're going to thrive, apart from health too. It's all, it all encompasses that health. So, you know, our, our organisations can do that. They can help with that because they've already got housing stock. It doesn't mean they can just put them into a house, but it's that networking with the services out there. Um, I know there was one of our organisations that uh, had some resources to build um, like a type of a hostel type of um, situation um, and um, solely for the purpose of if, if needed we can place people in there for short term or to medium term um, accommodation. And then of course our services can also help our people look for work, you know, get a CV together. The basics that people need to be able to navigate the world that we live in today. It's, it's, it's common sense. And that's my frustration, um, is that during the ACT, we were the first human rights jurisdiction. And when that prison was built, it was built to be a rehabilitation it was built on that framework of rehab and it's so far removed from that. It's such a violent place. And, you know, we want people to come out in a better state of mind and better health than when they actually went in. But, you know, they're already suffering from trauma and all of that historical trauma and, you know, all sorts of colonisation, dispossession, all of those things. And then they're in there and they're just treated so badly. And there's only so much when you're working with people with psychological damage. There's only so much you can unpack in a prison without making them too vulnerable. So you've got to be mindful of that too, you know, like you can't open up um, old wounds then I'm going to leave, leave these men and women in a more vulnerable position than what they already are in. And, you know, the, the wider um, public, you know, they all think, yeah, lock them up and throw the key away. Well, that doesn't work because they're coming out worse than when they went in. Their crimes are getting more dangerous every time. And until we start to address what's going on in these prisons, stop them from being punitive, because the punishment is to take them off the street, not to keep punishing. And unless we change that mindset, we're never going to change anything. It's just going to become more violent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more, Julie. We, we need to stop locking away our problems. Um, often we punish those um, who find themselves in an unfortunate position because we don't deliver services effectively, um, or the required responses. Um, and 
that for me is horrific and unfair. I just want to move to some of the questions now. Um, so uh, one of the questions is just around um, the two pilot, the two pilot, two slight pilot that you uh, mentioned, Annie Jill. Um, they just want to know when that is that when is that scheduled to commence, um, and what can ACROs do to ensure their workforce is ready to take on the responsibility um, of delivering these services into prisons. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure where the government would call them pilots, by the way. Uh, that's my language. Um, but the two sites that have now transitioned to a public health model, which is um, Terangara and... Um, Dame Phyllis. Dame Phyllis, thank you. Dame Phyllis. I had a blank there, a mental blank. <laughs> um, Dame Phyllis. Um, so as far as I'm aware... Those two sites are not in the current government contract to with GEO. So as far as I'm aware, they currently have a contract with, um, is it Barwin Health? Yes. For Dame Phyllis. Uh, I just can't remember the other one for Tarangawa. But what a, uh, so they're, they're, a, they're going to be a pub, they are a public health model. And I'm assuming, and this is where we need to probably if any of the the, the uh, department are listening, they might be able to clarify for us, Narita. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm assuming that includes mental health and drug and alcohol, not just primary health. Yeah. Okay, so that's really important, uh, really important, because in the, when when we did the review, it wasn't just primary health um, that we. Um, we got issues with it was mental health also and drug access to drug and alcohol services. Um, so I'm assuming that's what they've done. But as I said, I don't know. Um, they haven't sort of kept the review panel informed. Um, but as, as the CEO of VATCHO, I'm just about to embark on writing a letter to, to the bureaucracy, the Department of Justice here in uh, Victoria, to see whether we can get an update, a written update on where we're at with those two sites. I was aware, Narita, that with Barwin Health, there were discussions with uh, Wotherong uh, uh, Co-op to see how they can. Um, and Julie, I take note with your with your model. You are a standalone model because you didn't correct me if I'm wrong that you are a standalone model, you're not integrated into the mainstream model because there was a risk there that you spoke to me about months ago that if you're integrated with the mainstream model, because we do it differently, as you know, um, yeah. we wanted to be able to deliver our model of service, yeah. not mainstream model of service. So that's yeah. a really important point. So I don't know... Uh, how government are going to be engaging with the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Sector, Narita, and that's something that I'm now right and seeking advice on. That, yeah, I, I think that, that's good to hear because um, certainly I understand that the discussions between Western Health, which is the chosen provider for DPSA, um, and Wotherong are ongoing, but that is at the mercy of, of Western Health. Um, it, it's it's not part um the contractual arrangements aren't favorable um and we know i think um Tarangawa, um i know that Badak um are also involved in discussions about um how to support um Delkaya, um in that service delivery but 
I think it really is important um, that, you know, outros really look to be standalone service delivery. So you can control all the elements. We know certainly from the Royal Commission into Mental Health, um, you know, when it comes to implementation of those in prisons, it's been pretty poor. Um, we saw last year um, the coroner's court um, report that said that we had an increase of 75% um, suicide and self-harm, um, and over 80% of those um, had been involved in the justice system within the last 72 hours. So that means either they've been arrested in police custody or were imprisoned um, and then released. Um, those are horrifying statistics and show that mental health really has to be a focus area, certainly from um, the 35 people that we see arrested each and every day, um, mental health is identified as an issue for all of those. Um, so I really um, urge all of those um, who are listening um, not just to take up the fight in relation to physical health, um, but holistic health, which includes mental health and social emotional wellbeing, but most importantly too, connection to culture. Um, we know that culture is a strength and a protective factor, as you mentioned so often, and in Jill, and you alluded to um, Julie in your statement. Next question, um, and there are a lot here, so I'm going to have to um, uh, kind of tailor them down, but um, many of those coming through are saying that they're really concerned about the increase of Aboriginal women um, who are incarcerated, um, and they really want to know how do you provide an adequate support model for those women who are leaving prison um, to ensure they do have that holistic service delivery, um, because they do then see apparently poor health, relapse and death as a direct result of trauma and abuse that's been experienced whilst in prison. Well, I, I actually believe that if the Aboriginal community controlled health sector, uh, the Aboriginal community controlled sector, not just health, so the Bacho membership, if they're engaged in this space to provide not only the primary health care, but um, also um, the um, um, the uh, what's a, you know a planning when when a prisoner and in this case a uh, an Aboriginal woman is ready to leave prison there should be a whole planning process I would say a few months before um, uh, it's due to it that they are due to get out of prison um, and that wraparound services that the ACOs here in Victoria can provide. Uh, is what is needed, so they can look at, uh, you know, whether um, whether they need a place to stay, or whether they need to be tapped into employment or education, further training, or whatever the case may be. There needs to be those wraparound services when someone is about to leave. But how do you stop the increase of Aboriginal women, but Aboriginal women in this case, of uh, going into prison, that's a bigger question and it's going to take more than a, a two-second answer. Um, but I, I think um, governments have got to s switch the flip. They've got to flip the switch. I said that backwards then. Yeah. Flip the switch. They've got to flip the switch to think about, you know, because otherwise, Narita, in... In 10, 20, 30 years' time, we're building more prisons. Yeah. Well, and the argument, isn't it, Unangel, that um, the reason why they keep building prisons um, is because um, they designed to put people in there. Um, and this is the problem also with private prisons. Um, you know, the more that you rely on this private market and prop up private businesses, um, the more that you're going to have to incarcerate people. In the last six months, 
um, we're seeing an 18% increase in Aboriginal people being arrested well, um, in Victoria. So um, certainly I agree with you that it's not just about, um, you know, transition supports and integration back into society. It really is about addressing things like over-policing, um, yeah. you know, systemic racism in the justice system, um, yeah. poor bail laws. Um, all of these things need to be fixed. And yeah. um, certainly... There's just a oversight to make it happen. Yes, Julie? Can I just say that, you know, I absolutely agree with everything that Jill just said. But, you know, we've got to remember poverty and homelessness are two of the biggest drivers of, you know, more and more of our people being incarcerated. Because here in Canberra, we don't have access to, to housing. We don't have good access to mental health care outside of Wanunga. We don't have an Aboriginal residential rehab. These are the things that are sending our mob to, to prison. You know, if we had better services on the outside, we could prevent people from ending up on the inside. But we don't. And the thing is that until we look at the whole system and we know that the health system right across the country is in crisis and that then puts more pressure on us so, on the Aboriginal community control health sector to deliver so we've got challenges everywhere mm. but we need better external services like mental health um, drug and alcohol rehab, housing, and we need to somehow alleviate poverty. It's getting worse because of the cost of living. A reminder um, that if today's discussion raises any issues or concerns, um, please call um, Yarning Safe and Strong if you're Aboriginal on 1800 959 563. Anyone else called Lifeline on 131114. Um, again, those details are in the chat section. And just take some time to reflect on the things um, that we've discussed and how you can support and pressure governments to improve healthcare for Aboriginal and Islander um, people. Now, um, just a reminder, if you are concerned that your loved one is being targeted by police, please contact your local Aboriginal under legal services. That is why we're here. Use us. Um, and Natsals, who's the peak body for legal services, has links to each territory's Aboriginal legal service on their website. Um, so head to natsals.org.au and scroll down to the bottom um, to where the map is. And for non-Aboriginal and other people, you can head to nation, uh, National Legal Aid um, forward slash contact to get access details for your local legal aid services. Thank you all and have a lovely afternoon. Thanks for listening to the Doin' Time show today. You just heard a webinar held by the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service on Wednesday 29th March about prison health care and the need for an overhauled prison health care system in Victoria. Thanks for listening and see you again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Thank you.